You're listening to Tech Talk Daily. We interview the visionaries behind today's best tech startups. Get insights and advice from entrepreneurs that have experienced the tech scene firsthand. Visit us at techtalkcast.com. So tell us a bit more about your concept and how you came about it. Okay. Uh, So... Tablytics, very specifically, is um, an A-B testing platform um, for native mobile apps. And the idea that we have with it is specifically to enable the non-technical people on a mobile team to be able to create this, uh, very powerful experiments, push it out to users, um, all without having to write a single line of code or without um, having to involve developers. And so what we've done is built a platform by which you can essentially just drop your uh, our Tabletics SDK into an app, um, initialize it, and then from there, uh, the non-technical people, the marketers, designers, um, content creators, can essentially create these native experiments in their apps um, and actually modify the entire look and feel of the native app without actually writing a single line of code. Yeah. Um, really, what the way in which we came to it, I guess, is a little bit more circuitous, but uh, we, as a team, started out really as just mobile app developers. So we've been, uh, I guess, the four of us have known each other for a very long time, and in different iterations as a group, we've been working on mobile apps since the, since the beginning of the apps, the iTunes uh, store. So we were building a number of different apps, you know, for our own personal interest, just direct to consumer, and over time kept running into the same issues. And those issues generally were that it takes a really long time to uh, develop an app on mobile. Uh, the, the variance in terms of how long it can take to build an app was very um, intense. And what we saw really was the problem that um, the workflow in mobile is has been essentially broken by virtue of the fact that they're closed platforms. So what we were seeing, we really saw the entire time that we were building apps is that everything that a marketer, designer, these non-technical people do in their day-to-day life goes through a developer. The developer is kind of the gatekeeper in the mobile ecosystem, which is completely different from the web, where essentially due to um, the CMS uh, platforms that are out there today and CSS and the different, I guess, ways in which the teams work, um, you know, on web, you can essentially have the technical and the non-technical teams working in parallel um, to deliver their parts of a web app and push out to users without them really having to, you know, rely on each other too much. Um, Whereas in mobile, it's completely reliant. You essentially, as a uh, designer, have to give your Photoshop mock-ups to a developer to implement, and you just kind of go back and forth in a uh, process of iteration to get the final product out to your user. And then you have the additional issue of the App Store review process, which, you know, on Android doesn't take too long, but on uh, Apple can be, you know, a week, two weeks, or more, depending on your app and depending on what you're changing. So really what we came to was wanting to fix that issue of, um, you know, workflow in mobile apps. And in doing that, we built out a platform that really allowed you to change any part of your native mobile app on the fly 
uh, without having to write any code. And we use that really as the basis uh, for creating the A-B testing platform that we have today. Okay, yeah, that's that's awesome. So uh, I know I'm aware of the ones that kind of they do it. Um, there's A/B testing platforms available for the web, so like Optimizely. But I was never aware that you know there's a A/B testing platform for tap, uh, for mobile, and that's Tapalytics. Um, so so what really differentiates you from Leanplum, for example, or other competitors? Yeah, for the most part, uh, the competitors that we see, you know, in mobile today, um, you know, really the whole concept of um, this dynamic A-B testing platform for mobile um, only started, I guess, what we believe it started when we launched um, in January. Before then, all the competitors in the market were uh, really relying on code-based experiments. So they were changing uh, properties of apps and requiring you to do some pre-code where you'd essentially code in different, the experiment that you want to run, and then uh, you could push it out to your users uh, through the app store review process. And then really their, like what they allowed you to do was then declare a winner without having to do another update. Um, What we changed when we launched was that whole concept of being able to, you know, push these changes to the interface without actual and keeping your app completely native without having to do any coding. Um, where we remain different uh, really is in the, the depth with which we enable you to change your app. So most uh, platforms that are out there today that are trying to do this dynamic thing require you to maybe tag views, uh, require you to potentially code in your goals, require you to uh, limit your um, potential changes to text, images, buttons, things of that nature. Um, our A-B testing platform allows the developer, or sorry, the non-technical person uh, to really create any change on that front end, whether it's, you know, those buttons and text that I was talking about, the properties of those, or changing the entire way that, um, you know, table view perform, uh, reacts to touch, or changing the way in which um, your app flows, so where a button goes, uh, which page it delivers your user to. So we really pride ourselves on having a re- uh, very uh, deep platform in terms of uh, how far someone in marketing or design can take uh, their experiments. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's amazing because um, I've previously developed mobile applications and we've always had that problem of kind of um, you create the application, but you want to test out a new color or a new button that will maybe increase conversion rates. And you just can't. It just takes far too long. And you, um, if you're outsourcing especially or if um, you're talking to an in-house developer, everyone just has to go through the developer. Whereas with web, like Optimizely, you know, you don't have to. So it's incredible. Um Cool stuff. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, Y Combinator and kind of the process um, that you went through to get into Y Combinator um, and what they helped you with? Yeah, so Y Combinator was very intense. Um, it generally isn't what 
I guess, what we expected it would be and what I think a lot of people expect it to be. Um, it's very hands-off program, so everyone kind of thinks that uh, you go into Y Combinator and it's like this uh, kind of like this boot camp where they, uh, the partners really kind of mold the companies and have this, you know, you have like a lot of sessions and you're working very deeply with all the other companies. Uh, but for the most part, everything that happens in Y Combinator is very kind of, it's a very personal experience because for the most part, what happens is you work, um, in your house with your team or your apartment or wherever you choose to live. But like you, you basically move in with your team for the three, four months that you're down in the, the Valley with Y Combinator. You go into YC on Tuesdays for dinners and every other Tuesday around the dinner, there's also, um, group office hours. And really the purpose of that is more than anything, just to have you, you know, intermingling with the other companies and the other founders and talking about what you've done, uh, talking about your progress and talking about, you know, all these different things. And what inevitably happens is no matter how far you've progressed your startup, no matter how good you did in the past week or two weeks, there's always some uh, group or some founder that's done something amazing because they're all like it's insanely amazing people so what ends up happening is you go to these dinners and you talk to everyone and you realize that there's so much more that you could be doing and there's this really kind of very positive um, reinforcement of you know, understanding just how hard you should be pushing. And then every Tuesday, it's like this reinvigoration to go home and, uh, you know, hustle a little bit harder and crank out a little more code and just like work on your metrics. And more than anything, um, what Y Combinator was good for, um, you know, especially for our team, we came from uh, Canada originally, uh, was really seeing a different kind of focus that happens um, in startups in the Valley and particularly uh, Y Combinator startups. And really that focus is around uh, growing a single metric, a single thing that really proves out um, that you are building something that people want. So you as an individual team, um, it's like Y Combinator encourages this, um, encourages you to pick something uh, to grow every week. Um, whether that's, you know, signups or engagement metrics or revenue, uh, you pick whichever one is most important for you at your stage. And you have, like, you're supposed to grow that metric every week without fail um, by as close to or greater than uh, 10% per week as possible. Oh, wow. These are quite big targets then. Yeah. It's uh, it's intense, but it teaches you um, a lot of different things. I mean, like ten percent a week may not be sustainable forever, but uh, the things that you have to do to get you know ten percent per week growth, you know, when you are you know when you have no signups or one signup or a hundred, you know, it's completely different from when you have like a thousand or you know a few thousand or ten thousand. And so it really gets you to be reevaluating, you know, what it is that you're doing on a week by week basis and uh you know always pushing harder to do something better and when you refer to startups what's the most creative thing that you did to increase your signups oh, uh, <laughs> there's nothing all that uh creative we tried everything um we like when 
guess the most famous things that people say is like do all the things and it's kind of cliche I guess but you know there's not there wasn't this one thing that we ever did that was like aha and all of a sudden there was like signups um, but I mean, we went to events, we were, you know, cold call, cold emails, you're looking for intros, you're, um, you know, doing, um, you know, content marketing, uh, you know, paid advertising, everything, you try everything that you can. Um, and you're constantly tweaking and constantly looking at your metrics and, um, adapting, but yeah, sorry. And what ended up to be the most effective form? Um, most effective is either uh, for us is either content marketing or like earned media. Ah, okay. Interesting. Um, so who was the most amazing person that you met at Y Combinator? Cause you said that, you know, you meet amazing people that have previously created like really cool, uh, companies or really cool software or awesome apps. Um, so who was your favorite or the most amazing person you met at Y Combinator? Um, well, it's tough to pick one cause yeah, like they all are really great, but I'd say the company or startup or group that most impressed me was, um, uh, immunity project. And, uh, yeah. they are crazy. I mean, they're, uh, they're curing AIDS and they're doing it for free. Yeah, like, yeah. They're the ones that are doing a vaccine. They're trying to find a vaccine to cure AIDS and HIV, aren't they? Yeah, and they're planning on, uh, it's when they figure it out, they're giving it away for free. So it's like it's tough to kind of compare. Like they basically suck out all the amazingness from the room because that's just like a whole other world of amazing. Yeah, it's a bit, uh, it's a completely different spectrum. I, I, I just wonder where they come into the kind of technology part. Do they integrate technology with it as well? Uh, yeah, they're all about machine learning. So, uh, like their basis was kind of in, uh, like Microsoft research labs. And so they, uh, are bringing like machine learning techniques into the whole concept of vaccine cre uh, creation. It's really cool stuff. And the guys that, um, are running that, uh, that nonprofit are amazing. Like they come from diverse backgrounds that you wouldn't kind of expect. And, um, yeah, they're just, they're doing an amazing job. Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe we'll get them in for an interview as well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, cool. So um, could you give us a bit more background as to how you guys met, like the founders, how the co-founders met, and um, what your kind of background is? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so we met, or I guess we all met in high school. Uh, so ways back, I guess I'm now 30, and so is Aaron. Um our CEO. So we met, oh, at least 15 years ago. Um, and two of the founders, uh, Andrew and Jonathan are actually brothers. So obviously they've known each other forever. Um, but yeah, we, we all, uh, met in Toronto at high school. We were all geeking out together doing, uh, robotics in high school. We were all part of, uh, first robotics. Um, we were all different other than me and Aaron, we we're all kind of like different grades, but we were brought together through that. And we all ended up going to the same university. 
uh, three of the guys ended up in the same program at Queen's University. I was the only, I guess, black sheep doing a different program, but I actually lived with uh, Aaron at Queen's. And then from there, me and Aaron actually, in my last year at Queen's, uh, we started up uh, previous uh, startup that was focused more on like web development. We were trying to uh, kind of tackle the whole rental listing market, but we played around a lot with uh, mobile apps, uh, really, because that was the like the big, very beginning of the whole concept of uh, mobile apps. So we were very intrigued, and you know, put out some social apps, some entertainment apps, some uh, utilities, and just like really exploring the platform. Um, and that was around like 2008, 2009. Uh, which was a really bad time um, to start a business. So yeah, yeah, definitely uh, uh, massive crisis, wasn't it? Yeah, eventually that uh, that startup wasn't able to survive, and we kind of went our separate ways. Um, you know, doing a few dip, like Aaron went into consulting for a bit. I uh, went into the restaurant business for some reason, uh, which was fun for a while. Yeah. And we always kind of wanted to get back into tech, uh, get back into mobile, and. And uh, Andrew and Jonathan had actually started up, I guess, what was originally this company that we're in um, in 2011, just because they wanted, they were really interested in uh, pursuing kind of mobile development and they're interested in mo- interest in mobile. And in, uh, I guess, mid-2012, um, Aaron and I had been talking a lot about getting back into doing uh, startup thing. And we started talking with Andrew and uh, Jonathan and things just kind of worked out. And we uh, got together on a couple mobile projects just to kind of see how things worked out, see how we worked uh, together. And, you know, did some interesting things and uh, things that were just kind of fun to us, um, but never really went anywhere. And then... What's the most interesting uh, thing you did? Um, well, I'd say the weirdest one we did was a social music game that was kind of like a cross between Draw Something and Karaoke. Okay. Um, which, at the time, it was, like, really circuitous how we got there. All we wanted, like, it was kind of like us just trying to, we were doing something for fun, just trying to see how well we worked together. Um, but we wanted, like, me and Aaron and really wanted to do something in, like, social music discovery. Um, but there's, like, crazy, crazy rights uh, problems in music. So eventually, we just kind of, like, the whole concept went from being, like, social music discovery and, like, a social jukebox to being a social game and uh, like how we got there I have no idea but at the end of the day um, the silliest thing was like it was the whole concept of like challenging like the whole concept was about like challenging friends to like uh, sing and like there was some interesting like betting mechanics behind it and like you could essentially bet people like the in-app currency and it was like really interesting because like uh, the name of it was Jukeboxer and so there was this whole concept of competition and it was, like it was cool we thought uh, the whole app was really interesting but at the end of the day what we realized was a game that you really that you can't play on the subway that you can't play like when you're hanging out with you know in front of the TV because you like you need quiet you need to be able to like sing um, you can't play it in public spaces I just really have nowhere to go yeah. so, uh, we learned some really interesting things most importantly we learned that we really enjoyed working together um, and then just after that uh, 
I guess, stumbled into where we are now. Yeah, interesting stories. I um, I actually know someone that's created something quite similar called uh, Sing Me Something. Um, okay. Yeah, it's very similar to the same concept that you were just talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, so... How are they enjoying that? Is it... Uh, uh, they just they do the same thing as you, so just um, a little kind of side project. And yeah. um, I think it's going well for them at the moment, cool. but um, I, I think it's just a side project. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's something, like, there is something there, just with the popularity of, like, uh, The Voice and, American, and, like, the Idol series and all that stuff. So there, there is something there, but the question is, like, how do you get someone to use an app where, like... No one wants to sing in public, so it's like a very private experience. Yeah, and I mean, the gaming, kind of uh, app gaming is quite a tough industry to kind of get into, isn't it? I mean, there's loads of competition. I think it's um, the the hardest category in the Apple App Store to get to. Yeah, to get to. Yeah, you need, like, uh, your retention statistics and your, like, viral coefficient have to be, like, just wholly different than any other category. Um, and then on top of that, you probably need some some uh, base level of significant capital to just be able to push out the ad space necessary to break into any sort of ranking. Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll need to use something like Tap Joy or in-app advertisement to kind of break into the top 10 or 25 or whatever. Yeah, um, that, that's a huge problem in mobile. Like, um, the whole advertising thing is just crazy. Um, but one of the problems that we're trying to solve is this, like, there's this huge focus in mobile on, like, growth. Um, and there's this huge problem where essentially you spend, you know, significant dollars. I think the last estimate we saw that was, like, last Christmas uh, season that people were spending, like, greater than um, $1.20 or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember the exact stats, like, per app install. And... The crazy thing about that is if you look at on the other end of the statistics, um, retention um, data is suggesting that 84% of users um, will only open an app twice and then will leave it forever. And so you're spending, you know, more than a dollar a user and like a tenth of those users is going to stick around for any sort of valuable period of time. And like... We think there really has to be a change in that dynamic um, that I don't think we don't think enough focus is happening on that retention piece because that can uh, if you're able to change that you have a significantly different um, way in which the app store perform like the whole like app ecosystem performs. Yeah, um, and you're talking about kind of retaining customers or, or retaining users by using A/B multivariate testing, or are you talking about um, other methods or other products that you'll be bringing to market in the near future? Yeah, we th- uh, partially through that and partially through some things that we're hoping to kind of expand our portfolio with. But at the end of the day, really what it's all about is delivering to the user um, what it is that they're expecting. Um, we think that really what's happening is that when you, people are getting uh, sent you know, mobile install ads or they're seeing uh, the listing in uh, the App Store, they... like. None of the app stores are like single click download. You have to like multi verify, right? You have to say, I want to install this. You have to say, okay, or you have to put in your password or something like that. Like it always happens. Even with, um, you know, that touch ID on the iPhone, you still have to like double, it's a double verification that you want to download. So, 
people have given, everyone who's downloading gives, you know, a semi-significant degree of intent um, that they have found something they're looking for. And our belief is that that 84% statistic is saying that when they get into the app, they aren't being delivered either the experience that they were expecting um, or the app isn't communicating enough, like the processes to really understand, you know, how they are meant to get to the result that they were looking for. Um, so we think through A-B testing, you can significantly improve for uh, different segments of your user base the way in which you communicate the value of the app and communicate how people are supposed to be, um, you know, proceeding in the early stages, uh, to really improve that. And then gradually it's going to be all about, um, you know, segmenting deeper and delivering more unique experiences to more people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is definitely that problem of kind of retaining, retaining mobile users. Um, and, you know, it's a great problem you're tackling, actually. So that's just to expand your kind of product portfolio, I guess. Um, well, that's what you said. Um, I'll cut these bits out, by the way. So another thing, uh, so then I was going to go on to... Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so you're currently on iOS, aren't you, only? Uh, currently on iOS only. Um, we will be multi-platform. But uh, we have no announcements on that today. Okay. All right. And um, from uh, how much uh, funding have you received so far through Y Combinator and after that, have you received any other funding? Um, that is, we haven't announced that publicly yet. Okay. Um, all right. And uh, this is a good question. So um, what is the biggest challenge you've overcome so far? And how did you overcome it? It's the biggest challenge we've overcome so far. It's Jesus. The every like every step there's a challenge that's more significant than the step before it. So like we thought that getting into Y Combinator was like the biggest challenge. And then you know, it was like nothing compared to trying to get, you know, the first thousand users. Um, and then like, that's nothing compared to getting to like, you know, the next step of user growth. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's a tough one. Like every step of the way, um, you know, whether it was fundraising or, um, you know, growth in users or growth in like engagement or, you know, revenue growth It's everything. Just, um, the most unique part about startups, I think, um, is that, you know, you think that you, like, when you're starting out, you know, this is the way we kind of felt when we were doing it, you know, um, you know, when we started up, you know, a couple of years ago, when our first startup is that, you know, if you just get to this certain point, like you get over that hump, like you get into YC, it's going to make everything that much easier. It's going to open up all these doors and like, it's just green pastures but the funny thing is like at every step of the way the only thing that happens is expectations increase so you now once you've hit that ne next step that next plateau you're just looking for you're looking to make that next even bigger leap yeah that's so some great, in, great insight there oh, yeah yeah 
Um, yeah, so I mean, you're, you're kind of um, every time you have a challenge, it must get quite frustrating. Every time you kind of overcome a challenge, you get a new one, and you have to kind of overcome that as well. Um, yeah, well, I mean, uh, startups are a roller coaster ride of emotions. So any given day can be like extremely happy or like soul crushing, even though things may be going amazing or you know things may be. Um, you know, extremely tough on, on average, like one or the other, um, even no matter what situation you happen to be in currently, you know, every day can have that complete range of emotions, uh, which makes startups, you know, very interesting. It can be, it can be challenging at times too, but, uh, that is really also what makes having a good team, uh, extremely valuable, you know, having people that you trust explicitly, um, and know that you're kind of in it together and in it for the long haul. Like that's, that's extremely valuable. Yeah. And, and you said there was also like soul crushing moments as well. So, okay. Can you explain one of them? If you can remember any, can you explain one of them soul crushing moments that you had or one of them soul crushing days? Oh, the the problem with startups is that any little thing can be soul crushing. Um, you get like a bad review or you get a bad like comment on Twitter and all of a sudden like the world, like it feels like the world's coming down on you. Like, Oh my God, maybe the uh, carpets, you know, being swept out from under us and like, um, everything's going to be terrible from here on out. Like that one thing seems like it's going to be the worst thing ever and it's going to snowball. Um, and then, you know, eventually what happens is you, um, respond to that comment or you deal with that issue or, um, you address whatever happened that, you know, support request where they were seeing like this major crash or whatever it may be. And, um, you realize that just by virtue of like handling it in a, you know, quick professional manner that like people are generally like happy (laughs) that people like, enjoy the fact that, you know, you're at least, you know, responding quickly or whatever it may be so that those challenge, those like difficult times can easily kind of flip in the other direction. That's kind of where the roller coaster thing kind of happens. Yeah. And, and it's kind of almost like you've worked so hard on this product and then when kind of someone knocks, knocks it down even a little bit, it's almost like, you know, uh, it's like the startup is your baby. So it it kind of, it hurts to see that once you've put so much effort into uh, creating and developing this product. Yeah, yeah, definitely. uh, For sure. And so even the small, like even the small things can get to you. Uh, But I mean, to a certain degree, the interesting piece is that if you're doing anything kind of you know, interesting, um, or you're really, you know, you're onto something, you'll probably be doing something polarizing to a certain degree. So there will people, there will be people that say this is amazing. People will say that this is stupid. And so that's also part of it, right? You know, you get the people out there that, you know, are on the one spectrum where they're saying like, you know, why are you doing this? Um, and that can be very, you know, challenging to overlook. But to a certain degree, you know, with any startup, you have to overlook those people that are, you know, saying the negative things and keep on doing what you believe is right. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's a great example of that when I think Google first started up. Um, I think Larry Page and Sergey Brin, um, they they were trying to get investment for their search engine, and. Um, 
what happened was they, they went for investment, but the the other search engines and other investors were saying, you know, you can't you can't really this search engine isn't very good because people the retention time or the amount of uh, time people spend on it is really low. Now Larry Page and obviously Sergey Brin took that as a great kind of metric actually because that meant that people were finding the other web pages quickly, which meant that search engine was working great. Um, but other people looked at that as that's going to lower our advertisement revenue. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a kind of polarizing kind of um, polarizing concept you're talking about. Yeah, there's so many reasons why people like didn't like Google originally or thought it wasn't going anywhere. But hey, like that's the you know that, that's the perfect example of you know just believing in it and doing uh, like just doing something better and you know things will happen. Yeah. Um, so how do you expand, uh, sorry, what is your ultimate goal for the company? Where do you want it to be in, you know, five, 10 years? Oh, geez. The mobile market's changing so fast. So we don't really, uh, have any specific plans. So, I mean, we have our internal ideas of where our roadmap goes, but for the most part where we, like, we just want to be doing something that, uh, you know, makes a difference for people in the mobile market. Um, we want to be, you know, um, doing something that matters. And as long as, you know, the product that we've built is something that we're proud of, um, and that actually helps people in their day-to-day life, wherever it is that we are, um, wherever it is that, uh, this thing ends up, uh, we'll be satisfied. Yeah. And like, just for us, it's never like, it's always tackling, um, you know, the greater problems and trying to make something, um, that really helps people with their problems. And like, we are just in this to improve the market that we, you know, we're so heavily involved in just all about finding new ways, uh, to make the life of mobile developers and like mobile teams easier. And so if we can keep on doing that, um, if we can, you know, in five, ten years, still be tackling those problems. That'd be amazing. And sorry, I'm just going to go back to the beginning because I forgot to ask you a quite important question. Actually, um, can you give a bit more background about yourself? So, kind of, um, you know, where you grew up, what you did when you were younger, what were your hobbies, how you kind of got into the startup scene. Um, so, yeah, just from you know a young age to now. It's like. It's just like I was born and then I like in all the way to the startups. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we don't, not a biography, <laughs> just, you know, yeah. just a short, you know, yeah. synopsis of how you got into the tech scene. Yeah. So, I mean, as with I think most uh, startup guys, um, at least in tech, um, I have to say to a certain degree, you know, I, as well as the other guys on the team, were, you know, even more than a little bit uh, nerdy, right? Um, you know, when I was young in high school, uh, I spent a lot, you know, probably far too much time, like, building and overclocking computers, you know, like, uh, early in the days of, like, when AMD, you could, like, take a graphite pencil and um, connect the... Uh, you know, connect the different uh, pieces there, and all of a sudden, you know, you had access to a different part of uh, the BIOS to be able to overclock it, and then you know, getting into like different heat sinks and all that stuff, and like you know, just kind of tricking that out. Um, I'd say that was probably the earliest time. Like that's when I you know, started really getting into tech and things like that. Um, 
the silly thing about that was like I was pretty in, like into that younger, but um, you know when I went to school, for some reason I more so gravitated towards uh, the business side of things. So while I was into the technology and all that stuff, uh, for some reason I didn't go into like computer science, computer engineering or anything like that. And more so, um, found studies, um, more interesting in like the business side of things. So I did, um, like a business undergrad, um, and then really, uh, just kept on toying with different things, you know, teaching myself a little bit on the programming side, you know, just to kind of have fun. Um, and I guess more than anything, me and Aaron are very, uh, like, we've been good friends for a long time, uh, you know, from high school through university. And we just kept on challenging each other in terms of, like, coming up with different ideas and different ways in which we could do things. Um, I don't think we ever, you know, I don't know if we were, you know, from early on thinking we would get into startups or not, but like we kept on saying, Jesus, we had like a lot of money. We could probably make, I think we had this idea originally that we could make like the best airline in the world. And obviously that wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kept on like throwing out different ideas and it wasn't really, I think originally this thought that we were ever going to actually start anything but we kept on just thinking about ways in which we could do stuff better and we just keep throwing different ideas back and forth and toying around with them and tweaking them and all this stuff and most of them were silly like yeah like we'd never do it like building the world's best airline yeah uh, maybe something that we do eventually but who knows yeah i mean a lot of entrepreneurs actually do start off with the airline idea yeah. <laughs> uh, it's quite actually a common thing i think that there's so you know there's so much to improve in the airline industry i think there's one um Atlanta Airlines or something they they do really cool announcements and safety guidelines I've seen them on YouTube a couple of times Um, but I don't know Um, yeah but yeah so I mean we eventually like one day the funny thing the one day is like I was actually in a year abroad in Dublin um, and Aaron calls me up and says you know I've just been looking for an apartment and like in Toronto at the time. And he, uh, it's like, this is the worst experience I've ever had in my life. Um, cause like the experience back then in 2007 was the same as it is today. It's just Craigslist, right? Craigslist dominates the market. And it's like, it's a great market. Like they've built the most powerful two-sided market, I think, because like the website hasn't changed in, you know, 10 years. Almost, yeah, more than that, right? Probably like almost like coming up close on two decades now, wow. which is crazy. Um, so it's it's just hard, so hard to believe that you know that market is still so powerful, given that they aren't you know making you know functional UI UX improvements that are so important. So it does show you the value of like if you can just find the thing that creates that like strong two sided market. It almost doesn't matter what the app is like. It's just an interesting lesson. But yeah, so we saw this huge problem, all these pain points and that, and like he was just said, you know, this really sucks. It's like the worst thing ever. You know, I, we, I think we can do a better job and I think we can do a better job, you know, with the tools that are available to us. It's not like this pipe dream anymore. It's like, we can actually, you know, 
build a website, we can build the tools, we can build like uh, the thing, the APIs in it to kind of pull in different uh, you know services to really make that experience better. And so we went down that rabbit hole and we decided, we just kept on, you know, just trying different things, building different prototypes and eventually, you know, got a third guy uh, that we had known for a long time involved and just kind of took it somewhere. That's, that's how we got into startups. Yeah. Um, that's cool. So, uh, I'm, what's your, what is your favorite quote? Uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I was dreading your, like, this or, one. Or it's either you can answer your one. favorite quote or your favorite story. E- either one. Story as in, like... Like, uh, can we, you know, uh, one of your personal stories or a story you've heard or a quote you've heard? Uh, jeez. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not the personality to hold on to that type of thing, so uh, I don't have a good... I'm sorry, I don't have a good answer for those types of... for those that type of question. Um, yeah, that's fine. Uh, um, we'll, we'll cut that bit out anyway. Um, that's fine. If you can think of one, remind me, and we'll come back to that question. But, okay, sounds um, good. <laughs> uh, so, uh, th- these are getting a bit weirder now. Because <laughs> yeah, what is your pet peeve? Pet peeve. It's a tough you know, one. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Like I'm a re- like I think you'd talk to anyone and they tell you that I'm a really laid back guy. So I don't have too many of these. Um, but you know, I'd say generally I have to for some reason there's something about the way I was brought up, like I have to be very punctual. Um it's just this thing, like I want to be either exactly on time or early, and anyone who like makes me late or who shows up late or like more so than anything, if they make me late, that's like it gets to me. It's uh, <laughs> a bit odd. I don't know why, but oh, like exactly the same with me. Yeah, this weird like it's just something. You know, it's actually you know it's because my parents are chronically late. Uh, <laughs> And for some reason, that just kind of, like, stayed with me. Like, my parents cannot, like, they could be host, going to their own thing. It could be something that they invited people to, and they'd be late for it. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite. My parents are always on time, and that's why I always feel the need to be punctual and on time. But, yeah, yeah. I, I have exactly the same pet peeve, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one. <laughs> it is. But we're both in the same boat, right? So it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... If you could go back and change one thing, what would you change? Given my interests in in what I'm doing today, maybe I would have decided to go and do a CS degree or like computer engineering or something like that. Maybe um, because you know I wouldn't have spent so much time on like my own self learning through it and all that stuff, but uh, I wouldn't have to. 
like I could just be more immersed in it um, every day, in my everyday life because that's what I was doing in school. I don't know, something like that. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm happy with where like I am, as, like where I am, where we are as a team, like what we're doing, the challenges that we're tackling. And, you know, I do believe, I don't you know necessarily believe in you know determinism or anything like that, but I do believe that, um, every step of the way, kind of the things that you choose, you know, affects where you're going to end up just because, you know, you know, you decide to go into this program and you meet this person or you decide to do this thing and you meet that person like those, um, just natural kind of things that develop over time, um, create the person in the position that you're in today. And like, had I done something different, who knows where, who knows what I'd be doing? Maybe if I had done a CS degree, I'd just be, you know, uh, cranking out code in some company rather than starting up a business and doing, you know, the things that I'm really into doing. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's that saying, isn't it? Um, I don't really like saying it in French, but je ne regrette rien, isn't it? It's a, the mm. kind of, I don't regret anything. And it yeah. should be that way. Um, because I mean, you, it, it's, um, you wouldn't have met the people that you've met today and you wouldn't be where you are today with yeah, politics. Yeah, I try, like, I try my best, like, as best as possible, and then, like, <laughs> I find as, like, you get older, you know, hitting 30, obviously, was, like, it keeps on, like, when you hit, like, the quarter century and you hit 30, you start to, like, you know, it's not old, but you start to think about these things, and, like, I, I was always, like, I never, I've always wanted to live life not regretting a single decision, but you start realizing that, like, life is more complex than you thought it was when you were, you know, 15. And then the decisions that you have to make are like, have such ramifications and that time is, you know, starting to tick by faster and faster and faster. And I don't know if you ever saw it, but I actually, I found this really depressing, uh, motivational tool the other day. Well, actually it was a few weeks ago that I, I don't know why I kept it on my computer, but it's this Google Chrome plugin that gives you your exact age to the 10th decimal place. Okay. So it's cranking by like your age so quickly. Like you just see the numbers flipping. And what is uh, it? What, what is it called? Uh, Jesus. I don't know what it, let's see if I can find it in my extensions tab. Um, it's a, it's for the new page. So it's a new page extension. Um, and let's see. I don't So what does it do? So it shows you in decimal places your... It, it tells you your age to the exact 10th uh, decimal place. Oh, wow. That must be, yeah, I mean, ticking by, isn't it? That's a great tool. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know it, like how useful it is or whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's like, it's an... It's depressing and motivating at the same time. <laughs> uh, yeah. If I find it, I'll let you know. Uh, but I can't remember the name of it because, like, it's weird. It should tell you what it is. But when I look at the page, all it does is say age 30.28879. Yeah, so, like, I, I, I crossed over the 30.25 mark, like, two weeks ago. That was the that was the depressing one for uh, for this month or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at it. I'll, I'll start looking at it on a daily basis you know the 0.25 would really get on my nerves eventually yeah. <laughs> all of them little decimal points clocking up over time um so finally i would like to kind of give you the opportunity for um to give my viewers 
a discount on your product as well. So this is not recorded. This won't be recorded, by the way. But um, so, would it be possible for you to give my viewers a kind of exclusive discount for Tapalytics, considering the demographic that I'm kind of advertising to? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would be happy to. Um, you know, uh, for your viewers, no matter the size of the organization, I'd be happy to do three months free if they were to email me directly. And it's uh, Kobe, C-O-B-I at tapalytics.com. C-O-B-I at tapalytics.com. And um, so uh, they email you uh, and they just say, hey, I've listened to the Tech Talk podcast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you for that. That's awesome, providing some nice value. Um, so, uh, also, I want to give you the opportunity to kind of uh, advertise your positions to people in, that are listening to the podcast. So, what positions do you have available at the moment at Tapalytics? Yeah, I mean, uh, so we just finished YC, uh, I guess, in April. Uh, we're looking, like, we're tackling some big challenges and looking to ramp up. So, we really are looking at positions in anything. Um, well, I mean, obviously our, our challenges are mainly in the tech side of things. So if you're interested in like working on, you know, really cool stack, like our stack is like, wasn't actually, um, around a year ago. I mean, we're running like, uh, a node server, uh, with express JS, um, you know, angular kind of hooking everything up to the front end, um, with like a Cassandra, uh, in BigQuery, kind of like connections to run our DB and our real-time analytics. So, like the stack is kind of really cool. Um, so, if you're interested in like you know either backend, front-end development, if you're interested in iOS or Android or Windows SDK development, um, you know we are interested in talking to anyone on all those fronts. And we're also looking for hustlers on the sales side. So if anyone um, on that side wants to get in touch, uh, happy to talk. Awesome. Great. Yeah, so um, that's it, really. Thank you for listening to Tech Talk Daily. Visit us now at techtalkcast.com.